0: Hey, we are starting a brand new series today uh, here at Kettlebrook that we are really excited about. We're going to be studying and looking at three chapters, three key chapters of one of the most significant and influential books found in the New Testament, that of the book of Romans. Romans, uh, as a book, has literally changed the course of History, Okay, throughout the history of the world. It was in uh, about 500 years ago that it was a an study and a new understanding of the book of, uh, of Romans that led Martin Luther to kick off uh, what it became known as the Protestant Reformation. Changed the course of, uh, of Western Europe, changed the course of the United States. Not long after that, a few hundred years after that, a young man by the name of John Wesley uh, heard the preaching from the book of Romans, and uh, that changed his life. And he went on to then start what became known as the Methodist movement, which became the Methodist church, which at one time was the largest Christian denomination in the United States at the time. And uh, it all began when these life-changing truths and principles and promises found within the book of Romans penetrated a person's heart and changed their lives forever and changed history forever. Now, here in the United States, we uh, have loved, historically, loved the book of Romans in the evangelical church. One of the reasons why I think that is, is because Paul kind of uh, coherently and, and logically argues for a defense of the gospel. And what we read in the book of Romans could be our, could be said to be a manifesto of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And like a good lawyer, he argues like a legal brief, uh, for, uh, the truths of the gospel and what they are. And there's this logical, consistent, organized flow. And, uh, you know, we like, we're Americans and so we like logic and we like organization and, and we like, uh, you know, things to be nice and systematized like that. And so, so a lot of us just key in on uh on the book of romans very different from how jesus taught or jesus taught stories that illustrate principles paul argues logically and we like that but there's another reason why i think that we as americans we we love the book of romans and one is what is what is one of our core key values as a nation like what do we value what do we hold dear almost more than anything else Freedom! Right, yeah, exactly. He it's, it's cried out and they had a brave heart. William Wallace was like, freedom! Right, you know, we love our freedom. And freedom is a key theme that's found in the book of Romans. In fact, John Stott, who is one of the greatest theologians that lived in our generation, he died just a few years ago, has this to say in his uh, opening of the commentary uh, of the book of Romans. He says, its message is not that man is born free, it is rather that human beings are born in sin and slavery, but that Jesus Christ came to set us free. For here is unfolded the good news of freedom. Freedom from the holy wrath of God upon all ungodliness. Freedom from alienation into reconciliation. Freedom from the condemnation of God's law. Freedom from the fear of death. Freedom one day from the decay of the groaning creation into the glorious liberty of God's children and freedom to give ourselves to the loving service of God and others. It is all about freedom. And so, appropriately, uh, Dan Kelm, uh, our site pastor up in Kewaska, who's kind of taken ownership of this whole series, has called it Unbound, because we are going to be talking about the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ now once we place our faith in Jesus Christ. So now I want, I want you to get into it. I want you to turn in your Bibles, your Holly Bibles, to seven ninety nine. Page seven ninety nine. We're going to start in Roman uh, Romans chapter six. And we're going to get right into it. Um, our prayer, our prayer is that as we go through this book of Romans together, that both individually and collectively as a family here at Kettlebrook, that these Pages and these words and these truths will once again change human history, beginning with each and every one of us personally and then us collectively uh, as a family of, of God. Now, Romans, you need to know, was written by the Apostle Paul uh, as a letter. It's a letter to uh, followers of Jesus living in the city of Rome. That's why it's called Romans. OK, they lived in Rome. It's a, probably a network of house churches. Uh, made up of both Jewish people and non-Jews, Gentiles as well, at that time, uh, he had, he, Paul had never met these people before. Okay, so he is not writing in response to a question or a problem, as he is in some of his other letters, like First uh, and Second Corinthians. Okay, he's just writing a general, you know, comprehensive treatise on the gospel, on what the good news really, really is. And um, and he's hoping to go through there and visit them, so he's writing this uh, ahead of that time to kind of introduce who he is and explain to them more fully what the gospel is all about. And um, we're not going to go through the uh, entire uh, letter, but uh, we are going to be looking at three key chapters, verses chapters 6, 7, and 8. Now, kind to of start things off. I have uh, a good friend. He just got a brand new job, okay? He started this week. Uh, he is no longer an hourly employee. He is now salary, okay? He no longer has to go into the office to work every day at his new job. He gets to work from home. They sent him a sweet computer, two big computer screens. I saw the whole setup. It's real sweet. And uh, and then he says to me, he says, Mike, get this. He says, he says not only am I salary, not only do I get, do I get to work from home, but... I have unlimited paid time off. All right, like no more checking with HR. You know, the check. You know, uh, how many vacation days do I get? How many sick days do I get? I have unlimited paid time off, and I'm like, Luke, you got a sweet deal, man. That's a great deal. That's a great gig. And and immediately the question came into my mind. Okay, because I'm a natural cynic. All right, I'm like maybe it came into your mind as well. And that's that. What is to stop someone from kind of abusing the system you know what's to stop you from like kicking back a little bit early on a Friday afternoon what's to stop you from shopping online at Amazon while you're supposed to be working what's to uh, to stop you from having a sick day when you may not feel like working or anything like that what's to stop you from that in the same way in the same way Paul just got done in Romans 1 through 5 outlining a few key things okay did you all read Romans chapter 1 through 5 for your homework today did you know that Romans one through five was your homework today? You didn't. Okay, my fault. Uh, so in, in Romans chapter one through five, two things become abundantly clear as Paul walks us through Romans one through five. One is that we cannot be made right with God or be in a right relationship with God based upon our good deeds and our righteous acts and the things that we do. There is no way that Uh, Anything that we do or our righteous acts can make us right with God. Okay, that's the first thing. The second thing that becomes abundantly clear is the way that we do come into a right standing with God is through faith in Jesus Christ and through God's grace that is poured out through him. And so he talks about both of these things and he ends up in chapter 5 in verse 20. He says, but where sin increased... Grace increased all the more, basically saying it doesn't matter how much we sin, there is more grace to cover our sin than what we can sin. God's grace will always be abundantly above beyond what we can sin. And so Paul, like a good lawyer, again, he's putting forth this kind of legal argument, anticipates the question. What is the question? All right. What's to stop us then from sinning? If there's more, if there's more of God's grace than there is sin, what's to stop us from go out and just sinning it up and having a, a great old time? And and basically, if our righteous acts don't make us you know good with God, and and it doesn't matter how many unrighteous acts we do, if God's grace is greater, what's to stop us from just going out and living unrighteously? And Paul kind of anticipates that question and then he sets forth and answer it in verse verse one of chapter six what shall we say then shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase and then he answers it in verse two by no means that is about as emphatic as a negative statement as you can have from the, the pen of paul Basically, he's, he's reacting in utter shock and horror. He's like, it's essentially by saying, God forbid that from happening. No way. Absolutely not. And then he goes on to explain three key principles to these Roman believers that if that is the way you are thinking, then you have missed it. You don't understand what has happened to you when you placed your faith In Jesus Christ. And there are three key things that happens. And he spends the remainder of this passage kind of outlining those three things that have have happened. And the first thing that he says is that we no longer are in a bondage slavery relationship to sin. We have now been set free. Verses 2 and 4 says this. By no means we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It's almost as if what Paul is saying here is that we were at one time slaves to a cruel taskmaster who kept us locked up in a dungeon and we had to obey and do whatever this cruel taskmaster ever said to us. He was evil, he was mean, he abused us and he took advantage of our weaknesses and we were hopeless and helpless under this taskmaster. But but one day a powerful and wonderful king arrived and he freed us from this cruel taskmaster. And the way that he did that is he killed us so that we died to that relationship and then he resurrected us again anew into a new relationship that we no longer have with our old past where we now have a new relationship with this good and wonderful king. That is the picture that Paul is painting for us. He's saying you're dead to that old bondage slavery relationship that you once had. You no longer have to obey sin the way you did before. And then he goes on and he talks about our baptism. Okay? You're like, why is he talking about baptism? Well, baptism, primarily, more than anything else, is a picture of identification. And Paul is saying that when we undergo baptism, and back then, in those days, they did baptism almost simultaneously with belief. Okay? You believe? Okay, and Jesus good. All right, you're going you're going under. All right? Boom, down you go. Okay, that was, that was how it worked. No more, you know, kind of waiting, you know, let's check it out, let's see. And and while I was I was baptized as a baby, so should I get baptized again? And this what is that? Is that weird? Is that rebaptism? Not none of that. <laughs> it was like, "Okay, you believe? Down you go." And uh and so so Paul is saying that baptism is a picture of identification with Christ. And just as Jesus died, he's saying we Died with Jesus, the old person that we were, that was a slave to sin, is now dead. And just as Jesus, that's what you go go down under under the water, that's what happened. You've died, okay. And then just as Jesus rose again in glorious resurrection power, we too fully anticipate that we one day too will rise again with Jesus when He comes back for us. We expect that and we anticipate that, and that is. Fully, uh, the picture that we have in baptism. Now, again, baptism is an act not of washing of sin, but an act of identification. Jesus had, the, had went, underwent baptism, right? And you're like, well, why did Jesus have to be baptized? He didn't sin at all. You know, He didn't have to have sin washed away or anything like that. Again, baptism is an act of identification. And what Jesus was doing when he was baptized is... Remember Israel, he's identifying with Israel. Israel was rescued out of slavery, right out of bondage in Egypt. They went through the Red Sea, right? Powerfully wall of water on each side. You remember the movie? Right? If you're younger than me, it's Prince of Egypt Dreamworks. If you're older than me, it's Charlton Heston. Okay? But but they went through through the middle of the waters and on the other side God declares them to be His people, you will be my people, I will be your God. Okay? And then immediately they go into the desert where they are tested for 40 years. Okay? Jesus goes through the waters of baptism. He comes up out of baptism and immediately what happens? You hear a voice. What is it? What does it say? You are my son. In you I am well pleased. Okay, He's declared to be the Son of God. And then immediately he goes out into the wilderness where what happens? He's tested for 40 days. What's happening here? He's going through, he's living a metaphor identifying with the nation of Israel. And he's saying, where Israel failed and and failed to obey God and trust God, I am going to succeed. I will trust God. Okay? That's the picture that Jesus gets. Now, when we get baptized, we don't identify with what happened in Israel. We identify with Jesus. When we go under the water, we're identifying with his death and saying, when Jesus died, I died with him. The person I was, the slave I was the sin, died. And now I anticipate, come up out of the water, I anticipate to be fully resurrected. And that is a powerful picture. Okay? It's a powerful picture. Verses 6 and 7. Says this, for he says, for we know that the, our old self was crucified with him, so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer, no longer, okay? Like the Monty Python, no longer, we are no longer the next who say need, no. We are no longer slaves to sin, okay? Because anyone who has died to sin has been freed. From sin. These are powerful things. And so Paul is saying that when you get this, when you understand this, this will change your life. Just like the I Am Second video with, with Sean Little. When he realized this, he talked about identification with Jesus. Okay, And when he re- understood that, believed that, that changed the way he lived his life. So the second thing that Paul wants us to know is that not only have we died to sin, we're no longer in a slave-master relationship to sin, but that we fully anticipate a glorious eternity with Jesus Christ. Verses 5 and 8 says this, If we've been united with Him like this in His death, we will certainly also be united with Him in His resurrection. Verse 8, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, He cannot Die Again, death no longer has mastery over him. Okay? Now, not only is there a present, you know, component to our salvation that we've been freed from sin, there is now a future component as well. Here, Jesus is our template. He died and rose again, and the resurrection that he experienced is final. It is complete. It is eternal. He cannot die again, Paul says. In the same way, those who have placed their full faith and confidence now expect and anticipate that one day Jesus will come again and they will be resurrected to live with him eternally in resurrection glory. This is something that was a powerful and profound motivating force in the early church. The early church believed this from the core of their being and they then began to live For Jesus and for his purposes and for his plans with reckless abandon. They threw everything aside and said, we're going to live for Jesus. Because it doesn't matter if they can persecute us. It doesn't matter if they can torture us. It doesn't matter if they imprison us. Even if they kill us, what's going to happen? We're going to rise again. We're going to live again. Jesus is going to resurrect us with glory. And it gave them such courage... And such confidence that they went out and they changed their world because they believed that they were going to be resurrected again. And I wondered if the same couldn't be true of us, that that perhaps the reason we don't live with reckless abandon for Jesus and for the gospel is because we haven't done the hard work and spent time meditating upon this truth. That, you know what, guys? We're going to be alive with Jesus in eternity a lot longer than we are here on earth. This life on earth, thank you, this life on earth is like a snap. It's like a blink. It's going to be over with. I'm more and more aware of that the older I get, okay? But it doesn't matter if you're old or if you're young. It doesn't matter. We're going to live with Jesus eternally in resurrected glory. And that thought changes everything. God is like, go on sinning so that grace may increase. You know, you guys don't get it. Not only have you died to sin and the relationship that you had with sin, you're no longer a slave to sin, but you're going to live with Jesus forever in resurrected glory. Who would want to go on sinning? We now get to live for the king that we're going to live with eternally in resurrected glory. Jesus alluded to the resurrection in John chapter 5. We can put those verses up there. He says, I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live, when those who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out and the people who followed Jesus after his resurrection they believed it they believed those words they said it was true for Jesus and it's going to be true for us too and it changed the way they lived it changed everything so paul is saying not only have we died to sin but we're also going to be live eternally in resurrection glory with Jesus Christ and then the third thing that he goes on to, his last thing that he goes on to, is that he points out the logical conclusion that we are now free to serve a new master. Verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the, the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. But rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from life from death to life. And offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Here then, Paul is pointing out, he identifies the reality that although we are now dead to sin, sin still is alive. It still exists. And it still can come up and knock on the door of our lives and threaten us and cajole us and intimidate us into obeying it. Okay? But Paul is saying, now you no longer have to obey sin. Whereas before, you never had a choice. Now, for the first time, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are now free from that relationship and you can now choose not to, To sin. You can say no to sin when before you couldn't. And Paul is saying essentially what Nancy Reagan told us 30 years ago that we have the power to just say no. But not say no to drugs, now we have the power and the privilege and the authority in Jesus Christ to say no to sin. And so when sin and evil thoughts come knocking on your door, you can say to them, you know what? I don't have to obey you any longer. In fact, that's essentially what Paul says uh, when he was writing to Titus. He says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say what? No. To ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Like Paul is saying here in Romans, he's saying, it's not only that God's grace forgives sin, it's that God's grace gives us the power to live Free from sin as well, and free to serve a new master. And he goes on to talk about uh, offering the members of your bodies. Okay? We used to offer the members of our bodies to sin in wickedness, okay? Whether, whether it was violence with our hands and our fists, or, or evil talk coming from our lips, or cursing, or putting someone down. He's saying, now take those instruments, those parts of your body and, and offer them to God as instruments or weapons of righteousness. He says he used to do this. Like Sean Little, he used to deal drugs. He used to sell drugs. He used to do all those things. He used to abuse women. But now that Jesus has come into his life, he now has the ability and the authority to offer his, the parts of his body, the members of his body, to God in Righteousness. This is now the new master that we get to serve. The one who freed us from sin. We get to serve this new kind and compassionate and good master, Jesus Christ. And this, when we understand this, this new relationship, this changes everything. I had the privilege of growing up under the teaching of Stuart Briscoe. He, he was my pastor growing up. And he is going to be here in three weeks, all right? February 25th, mark your calendars, okay? Don't miss it, even if there's a snowstorm, you know? Get here. We're, we're actually closing down our other two sites and bringing everybody here for, for that Sunday for the two services because Stuart's now like 87 years old. And we don't want to schlep him around to each site. We just want him to stay here so that he can speak as long as he wants to. And, um, and I remember as a young boy, Stuart preaching on these verses, and he told this story that never, that never left me. He was, as a young teenager, drafted into the British Royal Marines. Okay, and while he was was in the Royal Marines during the Korean War, there was a regimental sergeant major who was over him and all the other young Marines that were in his, you know, kind of kind of cadre there. And uh, this man struck fear into the hearts of these strong able-bodied, you know, muscular men. They had to do whatever he did. He, and he was cruel and he was mean and he gave them, barked them orders and they had to obey him. They had no choice but to obey him. If they didn't obey him, it was to the barracks with you. And so they, this guy would strike fear into all these guys. When they see him, they start marching at attention and, you know, just wouldn't let anything slip. Well, the day came when Stuart got his discharge papers. And he was discharged from the Royal Marines. And, uh, and he was walking out of the office and walking out of the barracks there. And coming towards him was none other but this sergeant major. And Stuart instinctively started marching, you know, at attention. And then the thought occurred to him. I no longer have to obey this regimental sergeant major anymore. I'm now free. I'm in a new relationship. He's still alive, but I am no longer under his control or authority. And you know what Stuart did? He put his hands in his pockets. He started slouching and he started whistling a merry tune. And he just walked right on by this guy and looked at him and said, See ya. Because he could. He was no longer under the authority. And Paul is saying, that is the picture of us to sin. We have died to that relationship and we no longer have to obey its evil desires anymore. We're free to obey the one who freed us, our new king, who's good and kind and compassionate. And when, when we do this, it will, it will change everything about us and it begins to change everything our lives when we believe these things when we understand these things our behavior begins to change one of the best pictures of this that i heard i remember uh, about uh, 8 years ago we sent a team over to the democratic republic of, of congo to visit our, our partners over there world relief and uh, while the the group was over there they were taking out on a tour to see some of uh, world relief's work and they went up into the rainforest and the hills And they were uh, visiting a tribe of Twa people. Twa are diminutive people. They're shorter in stature, uh, smaller individuals. And because of that, they're the outcasts of society. They're the vulnerable. They're the pariahs of society. They have lived uh, very dark lives. Okay? So there's, there's some of them right now. So there's Cyprian from World Relief. And then everyone else around, those are not children. Those are adults with him. And uh, but because of the work of World Relief there, they have planted several churches amongst the Twa people. And as they were hiking up the hills, uh, they could hear these people singing praise courses. And and the the World Relief staff member that was with them at the time began to translate the, the the words of the songs that they were singing. And they said, this is this is what the words are going. They're saying, we used to be alcoholics. And we used to be drug addicts. And we used to beat our wives. But we've been redeemed by Jesus Christ. And now we're no longer drug addicts. And now we're no longer alcoholics. And now we no longer beat our wives. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? They have no longer offered the, the, the members of their bodies as instruments of righteousness. They're now offering the members of their bodies as, or as instruments of righteousness to God. And it's a wonderful beautiful picture and this is what happens this is what happens folks when the truths of the book of Romans begin to penetrate our heart it begins to change how we live like the people in the twa people group like Sean Little when he came to Christ I know stories I know your stories that these truths are changing you when I think about the young man the young father in in our church who has decided to give up drinking because he doesn't like the person he becomes when he drinks and he wants to be a better father to his children. I think about the woman who has uh, come to the realization that she has spent her entire married life trying to control her husband and she no longer wants to control her husband. She now has begun to love him and accept him just the way that he is. I think uh, about the the couple in our Jackson site, who were on the brink of divorce, and this guy, in his own words, said, "I was just a jerk." But Jesus, he gave his life over to Jesus Christ, and the truths of the gospel are now beginning to change them. They're they're reconciled. They've got a great marriage. Just saw them down there in Jackson, and and this is what happens when we understand when we understand what really happens to us when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. It changes everything. It changed the course of human history. And we, we pray that it will change our lives again. What would it look like if all of us here in 2018, as we spend the weeks leading up to Easter, allowed the truths and the promises and the principles of the book of Romans to penetrate our hearts and change the way we live, the way we interact with others, the way we interact with our families, the way we live at work. Is there one thing in your life where you have to look at sin and say, I don't have to obey you anymore. I've been free. I now live in a new relationship with Jesus Christ and I can say no to you. Maybe that's the first time that thought has ever crossed your mind. But I pray that it will cross your mind again and again and again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends here at Kettlebrook that we would all go home and we would, we would just read this passage over again, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14, and just say, is it true? Just ask you before we read it, God, is this true? And that you would whisper to our soul, it's true. You have been freed from sin. You have died to sin. You are now, you're going to be resurrected into a glorious resurrection life for all eternity with me. Why would you want to live in sin any longer? You've now been freed to live for me, for a new master, your good, kind, and compassionate king. I pray that all these truths would penetrate us, go deep into the core of our being, and change the way we live. I pray this in Jesus' name.